0: You have three, three categories of clients. The first is obvious, the people that pay you. The other two are the people you pay, your team members and your vendors. And your goal is not to squeeze everything you can out of them, but it's to grow and develop everything you can. This is the Playbook. I
1: am so excited because I have one of my mentors from afar, a legend himself, Jay Abraham, founder and CEO of the Abraham Group. Uh, this guy is the alternate entrepreneur. He has a podcast called The Al- Ultimate Entrepreneur. I know he's been called the $21.7 billion man, the highest paid marketing consultant that I know of, a proven business leader, a top executive coach in the whole world, someone who I've looked up to, uh, extreme knowledge. And uh, one of the things I wanted to start out with, Jay, welcome to the playbook. Thank you, but your Your playbook and mine are so similar because we're one of the few people that have cross-industry playbooks that we didn't spend our lives through one industry. You and I both have moved from industry to industry and seen some of the similarities, but also how divergent they are from each other. What were some of the lessons that you've taken away from the multi-industry experiences that you've had?
0: Oh, geez, uh, well, it's probably worth giving you a couple of different, uh, we'll call it pivot or or revelational things that happened. The first thing that ever happened to me that was profound, David, excuse me one second, pardon me, was that I always was a business transient. I got started at 18. You, you have a very sophisticated education. I had none. I had two kids at 20 and the needs of somebody 40 and nobody cared. And the only people who would give me an opportunity, not a job or crazy entrepreneurs who would give me a desk or a phone and a piece of, you know whatever I create, so you eat what you kill. And I jumped around concurrently to a number of different activities at the same time, because I was not paid for time, just results, which was a, a foundation in my belief system. But I realized after about 10 non-similar industries, that people in one industry don't have a clue how people in another industry think, act, transact, strategize, access market, create value, lead, generate, convert, distribution, access vehicles. And I was able, at a pretty young age, and this was an answering your question in a protracted, maybe an ADD manner, I was able to take relative, relative, I can't talk, relatively commonplace concepts from one industry, apply them To industries in combination with other relatively commonplace, but to industries that didn't know it, I became the one eyed man in the land of the blind. So, uh, one of the things in answer to your question, I have a very interesting attitude. I believe there's an inherent flaw in thinking in most people's mind when it comes to best practices, because by and large, most, not all, but most best practices, David referred to the best practices normally linear from an industry, not the best way to do anything, just the best way that industry does it. And, you know, I've been trained by, you know, so many people on thinking at a more heightened level about everything, including what's the highest and best use of time, opportunity, effort, access to the market. And when you do that, I don't know if this answer is way too rogue for you, but you know, my insight is that most people accept a fraction of a fraction of the yield, the outcome, the result, the impact, the, 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 the economic gain and the, and the worthwhile contribution that actions, effort, access could really produce, not because they don't want to and not because they don't expend time and, and intensity and, and, and emotion, but they just don't know alternatives that would produce much, much higher results.
1: One of the things I've taken from you is the idea of activities. I talk about uh, the man-made construct of time and that people don't understand. There's activity you get paid for, activity you don't get paid for, and even your sleep. And utilizing that with, as you uh, really, uh, in in a genius way, state, you know, it's productivity, accessibility, and even gratitude tie into there uh, to allow ourselves to provide more value, to access more people, to receive more, but also to enjoy uh, that process. And you talk about preeminence, uh, preeminence as a foundation. I talk about the common denominator of all billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers. In my career has been the desire that they must be what they can be. Preeminence seems to be aligned with that idea of having a desire that you must be what you can be. How important is that strategy that you've instituted for preeminence?
0: Uh, well, it, it, the question you're asking, I'm clarifying, is it how important is it to others or how important has it been to me or both?
1: Both, please. <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: Well, I learned it. I wish I could tell you it was original. I can tell you I've evolved it and synthesized it and iterated it to where I think there's a lot about it now that I would call original to me. But it was foundationally borrowed from a client of mine that I work with. And the story behind it's worthwhile this client was in the publishing business. They sold for hundreds of millions of dollars 30 years ago, but when they were competitive, they were three times bigger than their closest uh, competitor. They were priced higher. <clears throat> they were far more profitable. It was subscription-based organization They had lots and lots of publications. Their average uh, subscriber stayed much longer, was more profitable, bought more things. Everything about it was superior. And I was intrigued. So I did an exchange with them. I traded them a half a million dollars of my services for the right to hang out for a week and interview everyone in the organization, from the CEO all the way down to try to see commonalities of belief, methodology, ideology, philosophy, uh, just everything that was driving them. And I had a thousand pages of notes and I distilled it down to what has become the essence of the strategy of preeminence. And then every couple of years, I evolve it. But the key to everyone can learn it, it's you want to be seen in the eyes of whatever target audience you, you go after. And certainly in business, it means, you know, first stage, the people that you're trying to sell to, but it can be applicable to all aspects of your life. But so You want to see, be seen as the only possible choice somebody can turn to, the most trusted advisor for life, but in order to achieve that, it's not just an aspiration; it is an achievement that is um, is enabled and uh, and accomplished through actions. And the actions are a number, but some of the simplest ones is you've got to be able to appreciate, understand, examine. Uh, um, uh, respect and acknowledge the audience you're 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 dealing with in a way nobody else does you've got to be able to put into words in a better way more resonant way what they're trying to get closer to or away to and much better authentic uh, communication than the hyperbole and the superficial uh, uh, words that a copywriter typically uses you've got to have their best interest always ahead of your own because people are silently begging to be led in life but they only want to be led by somebody they feel genuinely has their best interest and outcome and protections and preservation and enrichment ahead of that person's own you have to be willing to tell them the truth as you see it and that means you may not really be able to sell them all you could because it's not in their best interest but you also can't knowingly sell them less than you could because that might not be in their best interest. So you gotta be able to give them the best reason recommendation of what they should be acquiring in quality, quantity, consistency. Um, uh, You've gotta be able to uh, change your focus. I'm just giving you the simplistic part of it. You need to be able to change your focus from uh, being in love with your company, your profession, your product service, industry and instead pardon my voice fall in love with the clients you serve and literally live with the realization that your product or service or company deployed in their behalf is enriching their life after the sale not just transacting an episodic and and static sale Uh, i use the word client that's very important if you want to be preeminent lot of people call the people they sell to a customer. If you look up Webster's Dictionary's definition of customer, David, it's somebody who buys a commodity or a service. If you don't want to be marginalized, you don't want to be a commodity, you don't want to be seen as irrelevant in your market's mind. And just a parenthetical comment, we have a book I've been working on for three years called uh, Rules for Relevancy or Relevancy Rules. And it's all about all the intricacies that can make you relevant in somebody's eyes and mind and how that is so dynamic and can change with with the most uh, unintended breach that's another story but um, when you understand what the definition of client is client is defined as somebody who's under the care the protection you're an attorney by training a fiduciary responsibility so it's totally different Uh, I can give you a lot more, a couple of the other key elements of, it takes about three hours to explain it, a couple of the other key elements of being preeminent. Number one, you have three, three categories of clients. The first is obvious, the people that pay you. The other two are the people you pay, your team members and your vendors. And you want them all, your goal is not to squeeze everything you can out of them, but it's to grow and develop everything you can so you have the ultimate Preemptive and and preeminent relationship, and you're the most you're the most significant factor in their lives too. So you're getting the leverage that most people don't, because most people who work for you produce about twenty percent of what they could, and most vendors give you about uh, half of what they 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 could if you knew how to nourish it and how to uh, mine and refine it. Uh, one of the things I do lately is I ask entrepreneurs a few questions and most are stymied and stunned by it. I say, what do you stand for? Who do you stand for? Why do you stand for that? What does standing for it mean? What does standing, how is standing for it expressed into the market? How do you see validation that that expression is resonating and being reciprocated? Interestingly, simple seeming questions, but most people go brain dead when you ask it. We integrated greatness into preeminence because I believe that every human being is programmed in their DNA with the natural inclina- inclination to be great, great in all facets. Unless you're, you know, you have a, you know, a health mental issue, something that you know is is an act of God. You want to be great as a uh, as a human being. You want to be great in your job or your business. You want a great entrepreneur, great money maker, great leader, great value creator, at least you should, and people listening to you and watching probably do, people watching listen to me do. You want to be great uh, in your ability to uh, develop people. You want to be great in your empathy, not your sympathy, but your empathy. You want to be great in your leadership, all kinds of things. And most people don't even evaluate where they stand or where they fall on the you know, on the scale of greatness or the lack thereof. So I can get into this deeply and I don't want to take all your time and give you answers that aren't relevant, but those are a few of the implications of just one of the side aspects of my body of work.
1: And very relevant. And that's part of the problem with having such a great body of work. It could go on forever. And uh, one of the things that also interests me is humility. And, you know, as much as, you know, uh, what I love about what you teach and what you empower people with is the ability to seek guidance, including the guidance that you seek. How important is humility within the context of everything that you teach that we don't know what we don't know and we should seek the guidance of
0: others? I think humility, humanity, vulnerability uh, 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 and, and an attitude of respecting that with little exception, every human being irrespective of stature or circumstance should be treated with uh, relevancy, dignity, and significance. And I think people that don't have lost their ability to be great. Wow.
1: And, and that loss has come from uh, a lack of an optimization strategy or?
0: from A lack of really grasping all that's going on, appreciating all. I mean, I learned earlier in my life that The people that we typically, because I was young and successful, and I was arrogant and and fast and loose, and I got some wonderful mentors that smacked me around and taught me. uh, They said something really important to me. They said, and this is pretty cool. They said, you can lose your money, and if you maintain and retain your integrity and your ethos somebody will always back you but if you keep your money and sell out your integrity you'll never get that back and that was uh, and and because i was going when i was younger too fast and loose for my own good and because i was too too bright perhaps for the maturity but all these things came with the blessed and and grateful uh exposure i had to a spectrum of mentors experts i had to help i didn't have to i've helped about 300 top experts in my life and none of them david an audience came to me uh for help with their methodology they, they had it nailed they came for help to command greater uh authority to command greater value creation to to be able to translate their intangible to something more tangible but in order to do that for them they had to first give me a distilled short course primer or primer, whatever the word is, on their body of work. So I got this enormously expansive, integrated, you know, uh, uh, heterogeneous uh, uh, integration of all this methodology that I'm able to draw from. And it's very unusual, I think, probably yourself included. You do the same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, you know, you have so many extraordinary antidotes. there's one about entrepreneurship that I loved about digging holes. Uh, you have so many. I'm hoping you remember it. Uh, I haven't talked about that for years.
0: Let's see if I can remember it. So uh, the first question is: Should you do dig a hole? Yeah. If the answer is yes. You know, should you dig it where you're digging it? If the answer is yes, should be digging it with a shovel or a steam shovel or, or a spoon. I mean, I can't remember the whole story. Or a
1: spoon, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, most people dig holes, but they don't ask the right questions. Should yeah. you be digging it? Should you be digging a hole or building a mound? <laughs> you right. You know, I mean, and, and, and if you should be digging a hole, should you be digging that hole or that hole? Again, one of the things that, and, and I'll share you didn't ask this because you're not aware of it. It's we keep evolving our methodology. We have a new methodology that's really cool. Probably don't have time to talk about it, but it's called taking your business profits beyond exponential. And it's based on um on uh on mathematics and also on um on quantum phys- physics but the concept is there are five gradients in mathematics above exponentiation uh let's see if i can do this heptation tetration uh pentation pexation octation i can't remember them all and And they're off the chart. And my my premise was that if you can operate mathematically well above exponential, you should never allow your business to operate in the incremental zone, if at very least it can operate in the ex, in the exponential almost at ex, excre, excremental. The, <laughs> in the exponential zone. And so we worked a lot on that. And one of the so I created this methodology, and one of them is a really interesting question to ask yourself. And again I wish this was original but I was discussing this and somebody played the phrase back and I laid I laid um ownership to it and it was pretty cool but uh they said and then I started talking about it you're a human hedge fund. We don't think about it but uh as a as an individual as an entrepreneur as a leader uh, as as a a person in life you are investing if you understand a hedge fund a hedge fund has a uh, portfolio that portfolio is invested in one or a multitude of investment classes those investment classes are predicated theoretical on two different factors risk reward i'm not going to get into uh uh you know some of the more esoteric hedge fund investing like the sharp curve but I mean it but but you know it's risk adjusted for uh you know for yield and risk but the point is if if it, the hedge fund is always striving to achieve basically asymmetric return. And they're trying to do it. Uh, they're trying to do it and hit alpha. Alpha is performance above the mean. If you don't know where you're investing your time, your effort, your opportunity, your yield, and yield can be money, it can be asset value, it can be joy, it can be health, it can be. Uh, you know, growth, I mean, and you don't have any idea how much of your portfolio is being allocated. If you have something, you're putting 40% of your allocation in, and it's got a 3% yield and a 40% risk, and you have 5% in something that's giving you a 800% yield, and it's got a no percent risk, and you're not aware of it, you're pretty effed up.
1: (laughs) That is amazing. I love the human hedge fund. That's I haven't heard that Um,
0: new. I've just been working. I mean, I've got, unfortunately, David, I'm I'm giving you more than you want to know. One of my friends said of me, and it's really, it's not something I'm proud of. He said, I remind him of, of an intellectual gigolo. I will come up with a concept. I will have my intellectual way with it. Uh, for the evening and then throw it out in the morning and never see it again. And I've got all these concepts I forget about after I, you know, years ago I had certain ones i forgotten. Last year, I mean, I, I'm a mad scientist. I don't write anything down and I don't remember anything.
1: I love, well, you, you have forgotten more than I know. And what a pleasure it's been uh, to have you on the playbook